We continue in the series that we started last Sunday entitled Christmas is Real. And uh, last Sunday we started it off. We're going to run for four weeks uh, all the way up through Christmas Eve. And uh, of course, three services that particular day, one that morning and then two that evening. Uh, and so uh, this is the second week of this particular series. I'm excited about taking a look at Christmas from a different perspective, really, and uh, not looking at it from just the cultural perspective, but also from the spiritual perspective as well. So last Sunday, we kicked it off. We looked at a message that dealt kind of following the panels behind me with what real joy is all about, that Christmas is real joy. And so we did look at the whole cultural expression of Christmas, you know, that for many of you, there is that cultural aspect that it's about snow. And some of you, you may travel up north, you know, you've got family there. It's about being with family and the snowfall and the, the carriage rides and everything that goes with that. And then there are others of us from the South that can't relate to any of that at all. And, uh, and so we have our own little separate Christmas realities like gnats and sunburn and those kind of things. And so there is that cultural perspective, right, that goes along with Christmas. But then there's also, in a bigger sense, the spiritual reality. That, that's what these panels are behind us, that Christmas is about joy, and it is about hope, and it is about peace, and it is about love. And the scriptures have a lot to say specifically about Christmas is aspects of Christmas. And so last Sunday, we looked at the very first aspect of it, that Christmas is joy. And we kind of traced that through that first Christmas. We looked at Luke's perspective in the Bible, and uh, we understood that Christmas is one of those important hinges, right, that God came for us. It's one of those hinges of the Christian faith, that God chose to leave heaven. He came for us in the midst of our need. He came perfectly human while never laying aside his perfect deity, and he walked this earth in perfection. And Christmas is kind of where it all began. Not the beginning of God, not the beginning of Jesus, but it was the beginning of his entrance into this world. And so we looked at that last Sunday and how when Christ came, that the announcement even to the shepherds was that there is good news of great joy. And that joy extends to every single solitary one of us. And so we unpacked that a little bit last Sunday. And we talked about how joy has a direct connection to our trust in God. It's not dependent on circumstances. That's happiness. But joy depends on our trust in God. And the level to which we trust God oftentimes is the level to which we experience joy in our lives. So if you missed that message, it's on our website, fbcislands.com. You can catch up uh, sometime later. Uh, but today we're going to build on this series and look at a message simply entitled Real Hope and trace that back to Christmas and see how Christmas is uh, the message of hope for us, every single one of us. And we're going to see how that looks here in the pages of God's Word. So real hope is the message for today. You know, when you think about hope, in a sense, there are two different understandings, or, or maybe better, two different definitions of what hope is. For a lot of people, when you ask them what is hope, and they have to describe what hope is, it's more of a wishful thinking, all right? That hope is this wishful thinking mentality. And, and often we'll even use the word in that context, right? We'll say things like, maybe when you were a kid, you'll say, you know what, I hope I get uh, you know, a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip for Christmas, right? Or I hope I get, uh, some of you may still want that, I don't know, have no idea what's on your list. Some of you may think, you know, when you were a kid, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. How many of you ever, I've not, I don't know if I've ever met anyone, did anybody ever really get a pony for Christmas? Ever? Anybody? Maybe? There was one. Adam got a pony for Christmas. That's good, Adam. I've learned something brand new. This is, this is helpful. So don't give Adam a pony for Christmas because he's already been there and done that. So, but we use that word hope in that con you know, connotation. You know, for you as adults, you say, you know what? I hope uh, I get a pay raise next year. I hope uh, I can find a better job soon. I hope, and you kind of fill in the blanks. You know, I hope our house sells or I hope we find a new house. 
And when you say that, what you're saying is, I have this, this wishful thinking, right? That's the, the mentality behind the usage of that word hope. I have this wishful thinking. I don't know that it's going to happen. I don't know that I'm going to get a pay raise. I don't know that I'm going to find a better job. I don't know for certain that I'm going to get a pony for Christmas, right? But I hope. I have this wishful thinking. Let me give you an example of this in, in my life here recently. How many of you decorate your house on the outside with lights for Christmas? Let me see your hands, all right? Any of you? Wow. You're, uh, you're still doing it. That, that's amazing, okay? So when I was a kid, we used to decorate, my dad would decorate the outside of our house with Christmas lights. Now, this is when I was a kid, so the lights, you know, these were these were big outdoor Christmas. They weren't the, you know, the little LEDs that they do now. These were big, bright. I mean, you could see it from space. Those kind of lights that were on the outside of the house that my dad used. And so he and my older brother, they would go and they decorate the outside of the house. You could see like the power meter running, right? Just pulling all this electricity. And, uh, and so they would do that every year. So I had never done it. Susan and I have been married almost 15 years. I've never done lights on the outside of the house, right? We've done some stuff outside, but never on the outside of the house. So this year, right? We're turning over new leaf. Actually, it was my neighbor Riley that did his house, and so you got to keep up with the with the neighbors. And so, and so I decided. So we're going to we're going to do the outside of the house. And so this year, a couple of weeks ago, we decorated the outside of the house and uh, with Christmas lights. And uh, I understand now why people leave their Christmas lights up all year long, okay? It, it's it totally, I understand why we did that as a kid. We were that house. My dad was that guy. And, uh, and so I, now I know why. So we're, we're decorating. We started, I don't know that I ever noticed this about my house before, but it has two peaks, <laughs> one on one end and one on the other, where the roof does this, okay? And uh, I noticed that when it was time to do outdoor Christmas lights. And so uh, we, we get to the, to the first end, we start, and uh, things are going really, really well. And then we hit the, the peak, and uh, I start going up, and somewhere along the way, um, the, the, I'm on the ladder, and you know, yeah, it's a two-person deal, right? So uh, someone else in our family, I won't say who, but uh, they were holding the bundle of lights, or they were responsible, and I think the bundle of lights fell off the ladder, right, that was next to me, and then all the lights I had done went, it came right out of, the, out of the little hook, so yeah, you feel my pain. So, um, so, so we start, we get going, and we get the peak done, and I start flying across the front of the house because the, the roof line is only like 10 feet, you know, or whatever. From there. It's two steps up a ladder, just flying. Drew's helping me, and we're just flying through. We got Christmas music playing outside, and it's like 78 degrees, and it's just going really, really well. And then I get to the other end of the house, and there's another peak, okay? So there's another peak at the other end of the house, and... Uh, this one was a little more difficult because there was a driveway and it was sloped and I couldn't just use an extension ladder. And so the brilliance right here between these two ears, the brilliance of my mind, <clears throat> I backed my truck up and I put the ladder, I'm pretty sure this is not approved by OSHA, I put the ladder in the back of my truck. It was stable. It was very, very stable. It was a very stable truck. And so I put the ladder in the back of the truck and I started putting, putting Christmas lights up there. Somewhere along the way, um, I think the thought crossed my mind. It was just after, Lord, let me die. It, the thought crossed my mind of, uh, I really, really hope these work. <laughs> you know, because I put a lot of work into it at that point. I really, really hope these lights work. And they did. They, they did work. It, it, it's interesting because April, our six-year-old, somewhere in the whole process of decorating, she, she looked at mom and she said, um, if, if daddy falls, where do we adopt a new daddy? She literally, I, I, 
she literally said, where do we, where do we adopt a new daddy? And I'm thinking, have you been thinking this through for a while? I mean, you already got the wheels in motion. I don't know. Uh, some of the stuff she says, I don't know. So, so it all worked. But when I think, I hope these lights work, that's wishful thinking, right? It's, I don't have any control over it. There's no guarantee that it's going to work. We could have plugged it in and it had been the whole Clark Griswold moment, right? Plugged the thing in and nothing works. It is wishful thinking, and when we think about hope many times, that's our mentality. We use that word as just wishful thinking, but that's not the biblical picture of hope. Because when we open the Bible and we move through the Old Testament and we move into the New Testament, when you read about people having hope, it's not a wishful thinking as though I hope all this works out and I hope God is going to be with me and I hope God has a plan here and I hope things are going to be better. It's not that kind of a mentality of wishful thinking. What it is is that it is a... It's almost like it's a guarantee, right? It's almost as though it has been written specifically in stone. It is a confident expectation. That when you read of hope in the Bible, it is a confident expectation. And so here's a little definition. You're not going to find this in the dictionary because I made it up. So here's a definition of the word hope, right? And if I ever write a dictionary, I've already got one word done. So again, I guess that's moment. That there is something, here, here's the word hope. Here's the definition. It's the confident expectation that there is something not yet realized or experienced that is waiting for you. That there is something, it, it is a confident expectation, a guarantee. I know this is the case. That there is something that maybe I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe I haven't realized it. Maybe I haven't experienced yet. But, but there's something that is there for me that is waiting, that is a guarantee. That is hope. And that's what we see described in the pages of Scripture. And in many ways, that's what we see demonstrated on that very first Christmas and yet a lot of people aren't experiencing that understanding of hope. Their life is still one big wishful, think, wishful thinking. It's not a confident expectation. And see, that this is where, in a lot of ways, the rubber hits the road. Because if you've ever been in a place where you've lost hope, those are the, that's probably the two most unbearable words used together in the English language, no hope. And some of you have been there. You've heard the doctor, right? When the doctor has come out with the results, with the scans, with the, with the blood work, whatever it may be, and he's looked you in the eye or she's looked you in the eye and has said, all the results are back, and I hate to tell you this, but there is no hope. And you know how unbearable those words are because you may have heard those yourself or you may have been there in the office when the doctor said it to someone that you loved. Or maybe it was after that last argument with your spouse, right, with your husband, with your wife. And, and there was, for a fleeting moment, those two words flew through your mind before you could stop them. You know, we, all we do is fight, and it seems like we never spend time together. And maybe we've come to a place, and before you could stop it, those words came through. Maybe we're at a place of no hope in our marriage. Maybe you're at a place where... It seems as though things have not gone well for you for a lengthy period of time. You're so lonely. You're so discouraged. You're so down. You're so depressed. It's those words that have camped out in your heart, camped out in your mind. Maybe I'm at a place where there is no hope. In the end, the two most unbearable words, perhaps, used together in the English language. And it, it really brings to the surface for us 
a question we have to grapple with. It is there really, truly, honestly, let's just take this outside the realm of Christmas, right? Where everybody's always in a good mood. And let's just put it in the midst of our everyday life. Is there really an opportunity for us to have genuine, authentic, real hope in a world that is so incredibly fallen, where things go so badly awry so often? Can we genuinely have real hope? You know what? Let's, let's see. Let's find out. And starting, let's look in Matthew chapter 1. While you're turning there to Matthew chapter 1, you know, for some of you, you may be brand new to using the Bible. And if that's the case, man, you are at a really, really exciting place. And I encourage you just to dig in and jump in and start reading. But whenever we look at the Christmas story and the details surrounding the Christmas story, we we see Christmas woven. We don't see that word, but we see the story of Christmas woven all through Scripture, Old and New Testament. But there are two places really where the Christmas story as we know it, of Jesus coming and being born, where we read of those in the Bible. And and it's in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Two different gospel perspectives, two different men who wrote those individual books. Matthew wrote the one bearing his name. Luke wrote the one bearing his name. God inspired them both. They're without error. You can trust everything that's in there. But it is two different perspectives. Matthew will include some things in his version of the first Christmas that Luke doesn't include and vice versa. And so when you jump in and you begin to read here in Matthew, uh, he, he gives us some really interesting details about that first Christmas when Christ was born. So let's jump in here. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And what we're looking at is the whole concept of real hope. So jump in with me. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew writes, and he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Let me pause there for just a moment. Again, for some of you, I don't take this for granted, this may be the first time you've ever heard the Christmas story from the Bible perspective. And so that passage there introduces a couple of interesting folks. One is Mary, the other is Joseph. The Bible says here in this particular place before Jesus was ever born that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, right? They were engaged. In the first century, Jewish culture, being betrothed was like a ramped up version of engagement. Uh, it, it required, um, uh, it, it was treated as marriage and to break a betrothal was like gaining a divorce. And so it was a ramped up engagement, uh, but similar to our engagement today. And so it says Mary had been betrothed to Joseph and before they came together, Uh, She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, right? He is being viewed as her husband, even though they're not yet married. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So the picture here, and just imagine from a very human perspective, Joseph now finds out that the woman to whom he's engaged, betrothed, is carrying a child. He knows he had nothing to do with this. He begins to wonder and question what in the world is going on here, right? And so Joseph doesn't have the Bible to read. He doesn't have hindsight, right? That's always 20-20. He's in the midst of the moment, and he's thinking, my, uh, the, the one I'm engaged to, betrothed to, has been unfaithful to me, and so I'm not going to go further with this marriage. And so this was going to be the time when he would step out of the marriage process. And so he decided, because he was a follower of God, he was a righteous man, not wanting to put Mary through the disgrace, not wanting to drag her through the mud, right? He decided, I'm just going to step out of this, quietly, secretly, and just move on with my life. But when he had considered this, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the child she would carry, ultimately Jesus, would be, would be human, right? Completely man, born of a man, but would also be completely God, deity, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look at what the prophet says, in all caps, as it quotes the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You see, if you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can look at the first part of Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. And what you'll see there are a lot of names listed, a genealogy. All through the centuries, God's people had awaited the Messiah. And in the first part of Matthew chapter 1, when it lists all these people, right, by name, none of them would fulfill God's promise of being the Messiah. They had waited for centuries for the Messiah to come. And whenever the time would come, Mary would give birth to her son, completely God, completely man. And Jesus would be born, he'd be placed in a manger, Luke tells us. And he would grow through infancy into childhood and through his childhood into adulthood. And through his 33 years on this earth, he would not commit one sin. He would walk and live a sinless, perfect life. And the time would come when he would die on the cross and he would raise again from the dead three days later, proving himself to be God, conquering sin for us, conquering death, conquering the grave. He would prove himself to be God, but he would also be our substitute. And when Jesus was born, tracing all the way back to his birth, when he was born there, what Matthew describes is the arrival of hope, hope that would come for us, hope that would be sent by God for us specifically. In fact, look further, a little bit further to Matthew chapter 12. You can read it on the overhead. Look at what Matthew says later in his gospel, chapter 12. Let's go ahead and bring that particular passage up. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, a reference to Jesus, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, God the Father says, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out. I love that phrase describing Jesus, that that's how he treats people, how he treats people who are hurting. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. Look at verse 21, and in his name the Gentiles will what? Will hope. In his name the Gentiles will hope. Listen, before we go any further, let me just give you a couple of things to jot down or to lock away in your mind. And the first is this, that hope is only as sure as its foundation. Hope is only as sure as its foundation. In other words, if you put your hope in me, you are, you, are in, you are in deep trouble, right? Because I need hope myself. I'm not the bearer of hope. You know, hope is only as sure as its foundation. If your hope is in another person, right, in your family or someone that you look up to on this earth, if your hope is in another person, that hope is not going to be sure. If your hope is in the government, if your hope is in your, your job, if your hope is in your finances, if your hope is in your skill set, if your hope is in your intellect, if your hope is in your intuition, if your hope is in any of that kind of stuff, it's not going to be sure and it's not going to be solid because hope is only as sure as its foundation. But here's also what we need to add to that, that when we think of that simple truth that hope is only as sure as its foundation, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is our foundation. Therefore, Hope's foundation 
is none other than Christ himself. See, Paul understood this. Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul would meet Jesus, Acts chapter 9. Jesus would radically change Paul's life. And Paul would become one that would share the message of the gospel throughout that whole region of the world, throughout much of the Roman Empire. Look at what Paul has to say, writing a letter to Timothy. Look at what Paul has to say about the connection between Jesus and hope. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, knew Christ Jesus who is our hope. See, Paul knew hope was not a set of circumstances. Hope was not a pay raise. Hope was not a better family. Hope was not better health. Paul knew that hope is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. If you move a little further in his letter, chapter 4, verse 10, look at what he says. For it is, it, it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed what? Our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And so when we think of hope, hope is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Even when the job is lost, you have hope. Even though when medical results come back, you have hope. Even when the one you trusted walks out, you have hope. Even when the bottom falls out, you have hope. You have not just hope, you have real hope. That confident expectation that there is something not yet realized, something not yet experienced that is waiting for you through your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the hope that Scripture speaks of. It, it, it's, that, it's that expectation, that guarantee that is there through our relationship with Christ that is far more than just simply wishful thinking. So when did you last feel hopeless? Uh, just think this for a second. When was the last time for you that you felt hopeless? Whether it be in your family, whether it be in your work life, whether it be in your own personal life, whether it be struggling with an addiction, whether it be dealing with conflict, whether it be when the finances fall, fall apart, where was the last time that you felt hopeless? And when you think back to that time, were you looking merely at your circumstances or were you looking beyond them to the person of Jesus who alone gives real hope? When I was a kid, I remember going to, um, going to Kmart. I've got a lot of Christmas Kmart stories for some reason. I may share one next Sunday. Uh, another, uh, I remembered. Uh, but when I was a kid, we would go to Kmart. If you're not from here, I, I grew up uh, <clears throat> just, uh, just over, over the bridge near Thunderbolt. And there, where Home Depot sits now, if you drive, that was Kmart, basically. Where Home Depot, and really where Home Depot is literally, was Kmart. And, and so I remember going there a lot as a kid. And my dad would, would take us there. My dad and mom would go there, would shop. But there was uh, you know, this Christmas experience called Layaway. And... Um, they had layaway there, and, and my dad would do layaway starting before Christmas. And uh, the layaway department was in the very back. Actually, um, someone in our church reminded me between services after I told this story in the first service. She said, you know what, I probably saw you and your dad there years ago because you used to work in the layaway department there at the Kmart where Home Depot is. And uh, so K the, the layaway was, was way back in the back of Kmart. And uh, I don't know why they're always in the back, I guess, but that's just the way it worked. And so it was back there kind of next to where the, um, where the uh, little cafeteria thing 
building was. Any of you remember that Kmart specifically? All right, so, so in that Kmart, there was this cafeteria, and they always had pudding in there. It looked like it was from about April, you know, about six, seven, eight months old or so, and it had this whipped topping on top that was somewhat like a brick. And, uh, and so the, the layaway was right back near there. And, um, and so my dad would go back there to layaway, and, and he would have something that he's paying for, and, and I don't even remember what, whatever it would, would be. But we'd go back there, and he would make payments, and uh, he'd put down the down payment. That's the way layaway works. You know, you put down the 10% or whatever it might be, and you make that first payment. And then what you're doing is you're then paying along until that object is paid off, whatever it may be, whether it's a bike or whether it be a sofa or, you know, a kitchen item, whatever it may be. If it's on layaway, you put a little bit down, and then you pay as you go. And when it's paid off, you get to take the thing home with you, whatever that may be. And so he would do that. He would do layaway, and he'd make these payments. And, 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 but here's the thing. If you're doing layaway, you're, you have a wishful thinking kind of a hope. Because what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I really like this item. I really like that, you know, that, that tool set. I really like this sofa. And so I'm going to put a little money down, and I'm going to pay every time I'm in the store. But that hope, you're going to say, I, I hope that I get this thing paid off, and I, I hope I'm going to be able to take this home with me. As you just wishful thinking, right? You haven't paid for it yet. It doesn't belong to you. You're paying as you go. And you have this mentality that says, you know, I have this desire. It's just kind of wishful thinking that the day is going to come when I make the last payment, and I'm going to walk out with my sofa, right? Wishful thinking. You may have noticed in the news recently, the past few years, that there are people around the country that are paying off people's layaway balances, that makes you ready to start layaway today, right? Is go, go open it up and pray for somebody to come to pay it off for you. In New Jersey, just last week, I saw where uh, one person paid off two layaway accounts totaling $10,000, all right? Secret Santas, they kind of what they call them in the news, and they just go into a store. They're apparently fairly loaded with money, and uh, they say, you know what? I want to I help somebody out, and so I'm going to pay off this random uh, layaway account. One guy in New Jersey, as I said, $10,000 worth of payments for two accounts, just paid them off. Let's just say that's you, all right? And you get the phone call from wherever it is you've got layaway going. And they say, hey, Mr. Uh, Smith, we've got your, your item here ready for pickup. What, what do you mean ready for pickup? I'm still paying on it. It's in layaway. I understand that. But someone came and they paid for your item for you in cash. It is paid in full. All we're waiting for now is for you to come and claim and take home what is rightfully yours. That is not wishful thinking anymore. That kind of hope has moved to the realm of confident expectation, right? Because that's my toolbox waiting for me down at Kmart. And I'm going to go get it because somebody else paid for it for me. That belongs to me. And so I get in my truck and I ride down to the store. Now I may encounter some traffic that delays me a little bit because it's not always going to be a smooth ride. And I may even get a flat tire along the way that sets me back even further, or I might have something that comes up that even sets me back a few days. But when I get to the store, listen, that item is mine because it's been paid for, and until I experience it, I've got the confident expectation that it's going home with me. That's the kind of hope that Scripture speaks of. It is not a wishful thinking that, oh, my life is so difficult. Oh, I don't know how I'm ever going to make it through this. And I just have this wishful thinking, I hope it all works out for my left head. That is not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is there is a Savior who left heaven to come for me because he loves me that greatly. And in my sin, before I had anything good to bring to the table, even now, when I'm born and on this earth, I don't have anything of value to bring to him, yet he died in my place because he came just for me. And his word tells me that when I give my life to him and when I turn from my sin and I surrender myself to him to come and take over my life as my savior and as my Lord, 
The Bible tells me that I can have the confident expectation that when I hit traffic or when my tire goes flat or when the bottom goes out in my life, that I still have hope because all things work together for good. And by the way, when my life on this earth is done, I'm going to be with him forever anyway. And until that time comes, he's not going to leave me or forsake me. His promises are true in my life and he's coming back. And that's what's going to give me hope. And so you, you may find yourself, listen, today at a place where the only hope you have is a wishful thinking. And you come into Christmas and you wonder why everybody else seems to celebrate something you can't relate to. And it's because they've met a man named Jesus who is the foundation of their hope who brought it into existence that night he was born in Bethlehem. To the point to where Paul, years later, would say, he is my hope. And it's not a wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation that he came for me. He's here for me. He has saved me. And he's coming back for me. You know, everything I've just said, is true and biblical. And yet before I close, I need, to, I need to make one extremely important application. That everything that I've just said is one specific group of people. And it's not the rich or the poor. It's not those that are educated or uneducated. It's for those that have given their lives to Jesus. Because if we haven't made that step, to turn from our sin that separates us from God and placed our faith in Christ and trusted Him and invited Him to come in and forgive us and take over, then we don't have a relationship with God. God's not bound to anything for us. Look at how Paul says it in another letter in the book of Ephesians. He says, remember, speaking to a group of Jewish believers, or a group of believers, I should say, he says, remember that you were at that time before your salvation separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and again, because of not having a relationship with Jesus, having no hope and without God in the world. This morning, if you've never given your life to the person of Jesus, Paul has just described where you stand in life, that all you have to cling to is wishful thinking but you have no confident expectation of a relationship with God. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, separated from God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christian, when Jesus came, he brought you hope. And no matter what circumstances may arise, it's as you look, not ignoring the circumstances, but looking beyond them, that you see that God is everything you need through this trial in your life. But for those of you that have never made the decision to give your life to Jesus, wishful thinking is not where you want to be. What God offers today is a confident expectation that heaven will wait for you. Not your sin, you're good enough to get there, none of us are but because you decide to turn from your sin and to invite Jesus who came once to come again, this time 
in your heart and your life to forgive you and save you and change you and keep you. If you've never made that decision, no better time than Christmas. Because it's Christmas that brings us our real hope. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to speak first to those who've never given your lives to Jesus. You've heard about him. You may have sung about him. You may have read about him. You may have been in church your whole entire life. But you know in your heart that you've never come to the place to where you've genuinely admitted to God that you've sinned and that you've fallen short of what he desires for you. You've never admitted that sin to the point to where you've owned it and then ask Jesus to forgive it. You see, he's the only one who can. I can't forgive another person's sin. I've got sin in my own life. No church, no institution can give you forgiveness, make you right with God. Only Jesus can do that because he's the only one who died for it. And with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're at a place in your life where you know your sin, frankly, you're tired of the of having to deal with it. You're tired of the of the, the baggage that it gives you and the, and the difficulties that sin brings. And, and you're tired of the guilt and you're just ready to, to just unload it. You know, the good news for you today is that you can. And that as you turn from it and invite Jesus, God himself, to come and to forgive you and to take over your life, he'll take that sin away because he's paid for it already. And he'll wipe that slate clean. He'll give you a new heart and a new life on the inside. And along with that, he'll give you another gift called hope. Hope that's not dependent on having things going your way. Hope that's not dependent on meeting the right person or having the right job or having a big enough paycheck. Those things are fleeting. He'll give you hope that never ends. It'll carry you through today and keep you through forever. And Christian, for many of you, you've made that decision but it's been a long time since you've thanked God for the hope that he's given you and so maybe for the believer today this opportunity is for you to praise God and to see the hope that he gives you and for those that have never given your life to Christ your opportunity is to right where you sit this morning even right now to just simply pray a prayer similar to this Lord Jesus I know that I need you and I know that I've sinned and my sin has broken my relationship with God But today I admit my sin. I confess it to you. And I confess my need for a Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, today, right now, to forgive me, to wipe my slate clean, and to take over my life and to be first from this day forward, my Lord and my Savior. For it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.